morning, church, you faithful ones, you true Canadians. How many of you have come to Canada within the past 10 years? Look at you, more Canadian than the Canadians. No lack of courage, no weather is going to deter you. Thank you for making the extra effort to be here today. We'll be praying for you and all of our brothers and sisters, indeed the whole community, as they're on the treacherous roads today. I kind of wanted to start by, by launching off where we stepped off a couple of weeks ago. You remember we spent the fall in this teaching series called Unleashing, Unleashing the Power of Jesus, and we looked at that series of four pillars that were on the stage at the time, discipleship, leadership, service, and facilities, and then we had all of it wrapped up in the language of joy. So the same question with which we ended that series, we're going to use to begin the Advent series. And here it is. When is the last time you experienced joy? Not a fleeting emotion of happiness, not a a transient good feeling, but something deep down, something that you just couldn't contain, uh, something that spills out of you. And while you're thinking about that question, Here's a second one to layer on top of it. How much joy do you find yourself living with today, in this moment? I mean, if you imagined a scale running across the stage with, uh, with zero, just completely absent of any joy, um, on this side and, and all the way over to this side, with you're maxed out, you're just teeming with it, where would you place yourself today on that kind of a scale? And as you're thinking about those two things, when's the last time you experienced deep down joy, and how much of it do you feel today? I want to introduce you to the series that we're going to be working our way through over the next four weeks of the Advent and Christmas season. We titled it, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him. And the reason we've done so is because we're grounding it in some of the familiar and popular lyrics of the Christmas carols of the season. But especially, we're grounding it in the story itself, in the Christmas story, especially around churches. We tend to talk an awful lot about a word that, uh, that even has common parlance in the world, about the word worship. And to be clear, I mean, what we're doing here is worship. And the extra effort that you went to to make sure that you were here this morning, I think, is, uh, is a testimony to the fact that this is one of the most important ways in which worship happens. But it's so much more, isn't it? It's so much more than what happens on one little platform in one little building, one little day of the week. Scripture offers a definition of worship that is much broader than that. In fact, there's a variety of them. There's that one that comes in Romans in chapter 12, when Paul says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of all that God has done, all God's mercy, you offer up your lives as a living sacrifice, one that's holy and pleasing to God, for this is true and proper worship, he says. So much more than just what happens here. Our time, our bodies, our money, personalities, our voices, all of that gets caught up in the worship of God. It is our response to what God has done for us. In fact, if you wanted a simple definition of worship, one that moves easily from this room to all the rooms in which you'll live, here it is. Worship is responding to who God is and what God has done 
for us. It's a response to who he is, his person, his character, his attributes, and what God has done for us, his mighty victories that have been achieved. And part of the reason why we've chosen this series during the Advent season is that it, it opens up all of these different perspectives on what worship is. Each of the participants in the Christmas story bring into God's presence a different approach to worship. You have Mary and Joseph, you have the Magi, you have the angels. Each of them in their own way are responding to who God is and what God has done. Mary sings her song, beautiful, powerful, memorable. The Magi bring their gifts, significant, deep, and and valuable. The the shepherds, uh, they're the chatterboxes. They just can't stop talking to everybody about this thing that they've seen. Then you've got this mysterious little boy who just won't stop beating on his drum. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. <laughs> He's obviously never been around an infant child. You just don't do that. There are the angels. And that's going to be our launching off point today. The angels' response to God is joy. Pure, adorant joy. And we're going to spend our time with that that night so familiar in your minds and so familiar in Scripture, that night that Luke describes. Uh, the familiar words that often you, you hear on the lips of children during the Christmas season, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. You know the one. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were terrified, but the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Good news that will cause great joy. Joy being one of the buzzwords of the season, it's that response, that worship response of joy that we're going to dig into today. I recognize, too, that joy is one of those great words that still has currency during the season. Uh, it's hard to, to talk about some of the more Christian words without re- meeting resistance. Even, even the word Christmas itself has met resistance in our society. But there's still this hunger, this hankering for joy. I find it written on my coffee cups. Uh, I see it lit up on the side of shopping malls and buildings. I even found it embroidered in a pillow at, at, uh, at Indigo the other day. Joy. It speaks to a deep down hunger and a need in our culture. You know, I learned this week, we shared at the 9 o'clock service, that the tears of joy emoji, you know the one, you're spraying out, is the most commonly texted and tweeted emoji in the world. There, you learned something today. Maybe you learned nothing else, but you knew that. Everyone agrees that joy would be a good thing. Everybody feels like their lives would be richer if they had more of it. Not just the feeling, but that deep abiding sense of joy, joy that's got some legs underneath it, joy that's resistant to all the weight that the world will place on you, joy that doesn't wane when circumstances change in your life. But here's the irony. Despite the commitment that our culture makes to the word, we know that during these next four weeks, most people will experience less of it, not only than they desire, but less of it than any other time of the year. I see our resident family physician nodding his head. 
because he knows his office is going to be filled with people over the next four weeks. More anxiety, more activity, a more acute sense of loneliness, more emptiness when it all comes and goes so quickly. In the midst of all of this, this, this chaotic season with all of its pressure, there's these mysterious messengers from God that appear in a darkened sky with a simple and profound message. I bring good news that will cause great joy. You notice the angel doesn't say, and sometimes we don't get this right in our, in our pageants, I bring good news and great joy, as if you get one and then the other. It's a syllogism. Syllogism, you remember from school, because of A, you get B, right, Nick? School's still fresh. Because of A, there's B. Because of the good news, there is great joy. Joy is always a response to something else. It's intertwined with, it's connected with it. C.S. Lewis, one of the brilliant, brilliant thinkers of the last generation, it's why we keep referencing him so often, one of his most famous books was titled Surprised by Joy. I mean, this is a, a very devout, very honest, very committed, lifelong atheist, raised in the church but found the church rigid and cold and dry and empty and turned away from it, but spent his life in the pursuit of joy. And at the end of that long pursuit, he was finally able to say later in life that, that he could find no lasting source of joy outside of the person of Jesus himself. If A, then B. If Jesus, then joy. If good news, then joy. And what we're hoping to do this morning is to reconnect those two things. Because Yes, we deep down, we want joy. But that often goes off in its own direction as we do a variety of things to try and find it. And yes, at some level within the church, we believe that there is good news, that God is at work in the world during this time of year. And we hold that in our heads and we take that along a separate path, a worship path that is restricted and reserved to the time we spend here. But what if we could join them together? What if it was the good news that caused the great joy. What would that look like once the, the clock hits, well, we're a small number, so we can go extra long today. Once the clock hits 3.30 and we finish up, what if you could take it with you? What if it were portable through all the experiences and through all the challenges of the next few weeks? It brings us back to the angels, the angels who lit up the skies with their message and their song. And Luke says, speaking of that, he said that the the glory of the Lord, you remember the language, shone all around them. Now we know that story. We hear it every, every year. And it's easy to gloss over that little part of the verse. Glory of the Lord shone all around. That's the point in the little Christmas pageant when they switch on the floodlights. And some poor kid on top of the ladder has to try and maintain their balance as they're dazzled by the sudden light. But the word glory in the original language, has such a depth of meaning that just doesn't get carried forward when we say glory alone, a word that, that is reserved, I think, or, or used maybe too universally for a whole gamut of emotions. In Scripture, in the language of Scripture, glory has substance. It has weight and heft to it. It, it refers to abundance. Maybe the best way of trying to get at the idea is, is from the language of physics, how many of you remember physics? 
Nobody remembers physics. How many of you remember physics without any fondness? Okay, there, there we go. How many of you remember this concept from physics? One of the basic principles of physics, two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. You remember that principle from physics? You remember an instructor demonstrating that by dropping a rock into a glass of water? Because two objects can't occupy the same space at the same time, the level of the water goes up as it's displaced by the rock. But there's more to the principle than just that. The idea behind that is that when two objects try to occupy the same space at the time, it is the object that is more dense, that is heavier, weightier, that will take the position. And the other is displaced. Now, what does that have to do with angels and and glory and children's pageants? It turns out it has a lot to do with it. You see, it helps to understand what the word glory is really getting at here. We celebrate this time of year nothing less than the cataclysmic collision of two realities. What you have is a divine reality of, of God in his heavens crashing into a human reality of people on their earth. And you have two realities jockeying to, to occupy the same space at the same time. And the heavier, more significant, weightier reality displaces the other one. And that's good news. Because it means there's a divine reality that displaces the human reality of struggle and suffering and pain and anxiety. At Christmas, realities collide. That's the good news. What is it that makes it so good? Well, one of the carols that we sing so often this time of year, written, wow, more than 200 years ago, written at, well, see if you can spot it, actually, written by a guy named Isaac Watts. Um, Watts wrote hundreds and hundreds of hymns and carols, over 750 of them. It's a reminder for those of you who... um, who have gone through the experience of trying and trying and trying and never quite succeeding. I mean, he had to do this 750 times before he stumbled on a memorable one. And what he stumbled on first was just a simple descending chord in the key of C. Well, that's not very resilient, is it? But realizing that music has as much to do with rhythm as it does with melody... And borrowing a page from a great composer, George Handel, he did this. Ah. And he struck on a note of genius. So much so that 200 plus years later, actually coming up on 300 years this year, 300 years later, it is still the most recorded the most played, the most sung Christmas carol of all time. And it's grounded in the theme of joy, and it's embedded with the good news. Isaac Watts took as his text for that carol the words of Psalm 98. That was his inspiration. The psalmist realized there's there's this connection between what God has done and what our response is to it in worship, the response of joy. Listen again to what the psalmist writes. See what he's describing. He says, sing to the the Lord a new song. He's done wonderful things. 
His right hand has won this mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. And the Lord has announced that victory and revealed his righteousness to Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. That's Psalm 98. He's talking about this collision of reality. It speaks to a Savior. It speaks to Jesus and what he will do. And what is it that's happened? This inbreaking divine reality. Heaven itself in Jesus has come up against the dark powers of the world, sin and death, and has emerged victorious. And his victory will be your victory. And that's the other part of the good news. This is meant for everyone. It gets extended to shepherds and Jews and Gentiles, to the down and out and the up and out, to you and to me. This collision of realities results in triumph. That good news becomes what, what Peter put in some of the most beautiful language in the Bible. He talks about joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter 1.8, joy unspeakable and filled with glory. When I think about that, but what that's like, I actually think about it, probably because today is the day that it is, I think about what it's like to come out of a cold blizzard, a, a, just a wet, icy, can we still call it a wonderland when it's like that? Uh, into the warmth and coziness of a chalet or a cabin, to, to sit, to linger in the presence of those who care for us and about whom we care and enjoy that sense of well-being. I was never a skier. I've skied less than a dozen times in my life. I was terrible at it, but I love the skiing lifestyle. I love the coming out of the cold into the warmth and that pervasive sense of, of well-being. That's joy. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. It's knowing that because of the victory of Jesus, because of the good news, it's warmer in here. We get lifted up, carried in the presence of God. In your presence, the psalm writer says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. That's what the psalm writers knew. It's what the shepherds discovered that there is this truer reality that has come to bear here and it has displaced what is most dark and broken in our world. And the result is not just emotional, but it's deep abiding joy. The joy that kind of, it overflows in, in a laughter that can't be quenched. One of my favorite Quaker theologians said that I don't trust any theology of a person who cannot laugh. I kind of like that. I don't trust any theology of a person who doesn't laugh. Not flippant, not sarcastic, not out-of-touch laughter, not forced, but a laughter that results from knowing that all will be well. Again, because joy is not just an emotional state. It's not something we can conjure up, not something we should try and manufacture. It's the awareness that I am held I am upheld today in the warmth, the embrace, the presence of God because of the victory, the good news of what Jesus has done. His victory is my victory and all is well. And the best part of it is that that good news is for everyone. It's for the person who feels like I can never get a break in this life. 
It's for the person that feels like I'm just always waiting and it never happens for me. The person overwhelmed by anxiety and depression and fear. It's for the parent who's just worn out, worn to the nub and so tired they can't go on. It's for the woman who has suffered the last in a series of miscarriages and she's about to give up. It's for the man who just feels like all they're doing is grinding out a meager existence from one day to the next. No purpose, no meaning, no joy. All of you held up in this pervasive reality. Here's what I'd like to do in the time we have left, the last two or three hours. We... There are some people who feel like it's not a sermon unless you get three points. So I'm going to give you three, three ways, just very quickly, a couple of minutes each is all, uh, that, that we might work together to try and apprehend this reality, this sustainable joy during the season of the year. We're going to take our cues again from some of the language of Scripture. The first is this, uh, find, ways, find ways to say yes to, to this new reality. In the biblical world... The word for this is repentance. Repentance is the way of saying yes. It really means quite literally, and this is an awesome definition when you think about it. Repentance means you think differently. That's not an Apple slogan after all. Think differently. In fact, what it means is you think differently after being in the presence of someone or something that changed your mind. There was a person in the Bible who was charged with the task of being a herald for Jesus. He was out there preparing the crowds. It was his cousin John who would say again and again, whenever he had an audience, the kingdom of God is breaking in. Worlds are colliding. Realities are crashing together. Repent. Think differently. And believe this is good news. There's that phrase good news again right there in John's preaching. Christmas, this collision of worlds, God entering our reality, leaves us with a choice to make. Do we go on being the same, or do we think differently? What would it look like to think differently moving forward? Because it also requires that we say no. You have to say no to some things to say yes to some other things. It means for me, I have to say no to my own little kingdom. My own pride, my own selfishness, indifference, entitlement. Friends, the, the things that we say no to, they, they often count among the biggest barriers to joy in our own lives. We need to say no to them. Instead, we say yes to this new inbreaking reality because it's something we want. It's marked by forgiveness and love, compassion, concern for other people. So maybe today there's a little conversation that you want to have with God about how you, how you need to think differently. You need to think differently about something that you've said or done or, or haven't been doing. You just want to say, God, I'm sorry about this. I want to think differently moving forward. I'm going to let, I'm going to let more of you in, more glory. Because, you know, just saying yes to Jesus once in your life, that's not enough. Yes, I accept you as Lord and Savior. I mean, that's absolutely key. But that's not enough. You need to make room every day. Say yes in a new way every day. How cool would it be if God's people throughout the churches all across this city made a commitment to that and as a result, the church became known as a place 
for great joy. Hey, those people, they're the joyful people, not the judgmental people, not the angry people, not the people with an agenda, but a people with this deep down resonant joy. What if the same glory that lit up the skies when the angels brought the message long ago shone through God's people as a community? Boy, they really are a place of encouragement and warmth and acceptance and light and hope. Well, that's the first thing. Find a new way to say yes to what God is doing. Here's the second thing. You might want to figure out some ways to make space in your life this year. The Christmas story, you have the angels. The angels are the most joyful characters of all, and they should because they live eternally in the presence of this new reality of heaven breaking into earth, of Jesus himself. But if there were a contrast to the angel, it would probably be the person of the innkeeper who we indirectly meet in the story. And yes, I know, the Bible doesn't mention an innkeeper, but somebody said no, right? Somebody said no to Jesus and the family of Jesus. You remember the scene, the scenario? Maybe the innkeeper gets uh, an unjust unjust shake at it in the way we retell the story, but we know that there's this Roman census going on. There's this mass migration of people. And they're flooding into this tiny little town in Bethlehem, and they're overwhelmed. Probably there really was no space. The the rooms were filled. The town was filled. But here's what we know about the rejection from the innkeeper. It's not an overt rejection. It's not confrontational. No, absolutely not. Not you. Not the Jesus family. Uh Uh-uh. It's it's something that, that... It exists a couple of levels down from that. And maybe that makes it more dangerous. It's not a confrontational no, it's kind of a default no. No, my life is too full right now. My schedule is too packed. Too many functions, too many gifts to buy, too many meals to plan, too many services to be a part of. Sorry, but no. I wonder how many of us are saying a default no to Jesus just because we're too busy, too full, no vacancy in our life, but also no joy. You see, saying yes to God's important, but then, then we're invited to restructure our lives in a way that allows us to make space for God to move. It's interesting, as you read through the Christmas story, and we'll be doing this over the next few weeks, People always had to give something up before they found the joy that the angels promised. The shepherds had to walk away from their sheep as they hurried on to Bethlehem. The magi had to say no to Herod, which was a dangerous enterprise. Placed you in a perilous position, but they had to say no before they could say yes to Jesus. What might you say no to this year? just in order to create some space for this to happen. Listen, there's a whole bunch of simple ways you can do it. Maybe you say no to answering work email when you're at home so you can be fully present at home. Maybe you say no to cell phones 
when you're sitting together at the dinner table or around the sofa in the living room so that you can really be present. Maybe, maybe you say no to Top 40 Radio or 680 News on your commute to work, and instead you engage in some of the marvelous Christmas worship music that has a way of, of helping us remember and relive this collision of heaven and earth. And all of it, you're just saying, this is my way to make space, to stay connected to the good news and to tap into those rivers of joy. And here's the final thing, and we'll wrap up with this. Try to pay attention. I know that comes 30 minutes into the sermon. (laughs) Try to pay attention, but... Do you find that, for the most part, we go through our lives on a kind of autopilot? Um, And that's probably a good thing, because we can't sustain attention through every waking moment of every day. But from time to time, pay attention to the way that the reality of God is already breaking into your life. Remember, after visiting the baby Jesus, we're told the shepherds returned back home doing what? Glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard all the things they'd seen, all the things that had been promised to them. The shepherds, they'd just witnessed the the cataclysmic collision of heaven and earth. They'd seen heaven's champion. They'd seen this victor arrive. They'd left their sheep behind. They'd made some space for joy. Now they're traveling home. And Luke is really quick to point out that the world looked different to them. They can't help but offer gratitude for even the smallest gifts. They worship as they go. Now, to be clear, they're going back to the same old jobs, the same old sheep, same old hill, and the same old night shift. But they have different lenses on. The world just looks and feels different. Isn't it it kind of the same for us? The more attentive I am to what God is doing in the world, the more naturally my response will be joy. Let's say that again. The more attentive we are to what God is doing in the world, the more naturally our response will be joy. Let me fast forward us through to the end of Scripture. The book of Revelation gives us a snapshot of those Christmas characters appearing again, those angels. We're told they're there doing what I guess they've always been doing. Worshiping God in glory. Enjoying that pervasive sense of his presence. Revelation 4, verse 8. Day after day, night after night, they kept saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Now, to be honest, there was a place in my life when I read that verse and I thought, does that mean it's like a church service that never ends? Oh, man. (laughs) Maybe to, get, to really get into, into that text, it requires us to revert a little bit and see it through the eyes of a child. I'm going to ask you to try and do this. Maybe some of you have memories that go back to this place, or, or maybe you go back to the place where you had children when they were young. Our kids loved to be tossed up and down, up and down, they loved to be swung back and forth, Daddy. They loved to be twirled. They could go round and round until my muscles ached and my shoulders were coming out of the socket. More, Daddy, more. 
and they're teetering around on the stage, dizzy and giddy with laughter and just content with the moment. Again, Daddy, again, again. Can learn a lot about joy from kids. I think of them now when I read passages like that one from Revelation to be so content, to be so safely held in the arms of a father, to be so situated in that pervasive, joyful reality. All we want to say is, again, Father, again, again. Or as Isaac Watts put it in his hymn, repeat the sounding joy, again, Father, again. It's good news, it's pervasive, it's abiding joy. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the ways you're making good on your promises, for all the ways that heaven has come to earth. God, I admit that there's so many ways that I still tend to focus on my own little life, my own little kingdom. I don't see the breakthrough happening. Recalibrate our vision, Lord. Thank you for this Advent season, this time of renewed focus. As we walk through these days, Lord, give us the restful space to enjoy the new reality that's broken into our world, to see you in ways we might otherwise not have seen you. God, show up for us day by day. Show up in real time. The great bringer of joy, even in the middle of the tedium and the challenge of day-to-day life. We pray this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, the victor in the great struggle, our Master and our friend. In Jesus' name, amen.